Welcome to Places, everyone, a conversation about the balance of art and business. I'm Lonnie Firestone. Brooklyn Academy of Music is the oldest performing arts venue in America that is continually operating. It presents both large and intimate performances in dance, theater, opera, and music, and houses its own film center and film archives. BIM's artistic offerings are known for being contemporary, experimental, global, and unusual, much like Brooklyn itself. BAM owes a lot of its flavor to Brooklyn, especially the international population that contributes to a thriving art scene. And in turn, Brooklyn owes a lot to BAM for making the Fort Greene neighborhood a cultural center, sparking new businesses and restaurants along the same streets as BAM and other performance venues. Across the river in Manhattan, a new major arts venue called The Shed opened just a few weeks ago. It's a massive structure on the west side of Manhattan, with a movable glass facade to make it a shape-shifting performance space. The building costs almost $500 million to build. Look it up online. It's extraordinary. When I scrolled through the lineup of events for their inaugural season, I thought, any of these artists could be at BAM, and some already have. That made me wonder whether brand new performance venues pose challenges or financial constraints on performance venues like BAM that already exist. Are there enough deep-pocketed donors to go around? Are there enough ticket buyers and arts enthusiasts to keep so many venues in business in New York City? I decided to ask a producer at BAM, Amy Casello. She's not worried about the shed. And why not? That's today's episode. But first, something interesting from the intersection of art and finance. Former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg donated $75 million to the construction of the shed. And his involvement with it goes back to his tenure as mayor when he developed plans to revitalize the west side of Manhattan. Remember his bid to host the Olympics in the same area? The shed's size, scale, and cost make it seem like a playground by the rich for the rich— but an awareness of justice and equity has cachet among some high-level philanthropists, like Bloomberg and the Shed's chairman, Daniel Doctoroff. One of the Shed's initiatives is a program called Open Call that specifically funds artists who have never received support from an institution before. Doctoroff also plans to offer a wide range of ticket prices, starting at $10, with free tickets for anyone 18 and under. That means the shed will operate at a loss, Dr. Off said. But, quote, we regard it as investing in society. And now, here's my interview with Amy Casello. Hello, Amy. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks, Lonnie. So BAM is a multidisciplinary arts venue with many types of performances, including music, dance, opera, theater, and film. Do you see BAM as a place of crossover for audiences? In other words, do you find that in a multifaceted venue, music lovers who come for a concert might find that they are interested in dance? Is that part of the idea with creating so many different types in one organization? It's certainly a hope, the accidental tourist slash arts patron, sure. So you have started as the associate producer for the Next Wave Festival and now are a general producer. Can you sum up 
the Next Wave Festival in, say, four or five adjectives and explain why it's been so influential on the New York art scene? So Next Wave was created specifically for the presentation of avant-garde art Mm -hmm. and across an international landscape. And that has really put BAM on the map in the, you know, kind of the modern day BAM under Harvey Lichtenstein, carried on by Joel Melillo, and to be carried on by David Binder now. So say two of those adjectives, it sounds like avant-garde, international? Contemporary, adventurous, cutting edge. And what have you seen as its influence on the Brooklyn scene, on the New York art scene? I think it certainly contributed to the whole idea of the hipness of Brooklyn and the unusualness or the uniqueness of Brooklyn. Hmm. Uh, We're not Lincoln Center. Yeah. It's not classical art. It's funny. I actually wanted to bring that up next because BAM is the oldest performing arts venue in America that is continually operating. And it was founded in 1861, I believe, which is about a century before Lincoln Center was founded. And I think that fact would surprise a lot of people because Lincoln Center feels so classic New York and BAM feels so modern. How do you account for that distinction in style and perception? I always think about it as Brooklyn's a little grittier. Brooklyn's Mm -hmm. tries harder, maybe. Brooklyn's followed a different kind of path than Manhattan. Um, It's been a long time since the Brooklyn Bridge was built and Brooklyn was the heart of New York. Um, But I think it's come back to being the heart of New York. Yeah. It's funny, though, because now that Brooklyn has so much development, I mean, you look at downtown Brooklyn, you used to be able to see that clock tower for mm-hmm. miles and miles, and now the clock tower is obscured by so many high-rises and skyscrapers. Does does Brooklyn still feel that kind of uh, gritty and unusual and unique style to you? I think that there's a lot of people trying to preserve the neighborhoods and the reason that Brooklyn became Brooklyn and desirable in the first place and that it doesn't just give in to the high rises and just a lot of development because it does obviously changes what people, how people live and what they expect and how they want to live. It does seem there's a lot of Chipotles around, (laughs) Um, but there's still you know, the unbeaten path of marching to your own drummer. And I think that's really what, I mean, that's what I think of when I think of Brooklyn. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And I do think it is a more um, global population than Manhattan has probably ever been. Um, I think it does retain more of that just naturally diverse global, uh, maybe immigrant population um, that feeds into the arts world. Does that feel right? That feels right, yes. So as the Opera House and the Harvey Theater, which are, I believe, about 2,000 seats and about 900 seats, respectively, Mm -hmm. um, and produce music and theater, um, big concerts and big dance performances, as they more and more present established artists who have wide followings, the newer space, the Fisher, which I think is about, is that five years or a little more? Uh, 2012 already. Is the idea there that the emerging artists who deserve a platform as well, need their their own space. Is that Was that the initial idea of the Fisher? I think that was a part of the initial thinking. 
BAM could present small works in the opera house and did. Um, and there was a third space for a long time, the Carey Playhouse, which is now part of the BAM Rose Cinemas. The idea is that an established artist can be in Fisher, but that they've imagined a piece that requires a more intimate space. I see. And also that there was a real push to have a space that was affordable uh, for community members to present. And so we have a very active subsidized rental program there. You get all the great bells and whistles of our tech package and our great crew, but it is a more affordable space. That's tremendous. I, I mean, I've learned that a lot of times when artists are commissioned to do a new piece for an arts venue or a performing arts center, um, but they're not widely established artists, sometimes it's quite taxing on them financially to produce when they're not established and have their own financial backing. So that same seems like the Fisher is designed for the artist who is not, doesn't come with their own crew and publicist and all of that. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's one-stop shopping. And um, we also for a time ran a PDP program, professional development, and it allowed artists and their managers on a small scale to go through training so that they could then rent the Fisher space, but have had back, you know, training in fundraising and marketing and production and things that would make their season more successful. Mm -hmm. I learned in an interview recently with Katie Clark, your president, that New York City owns BAM's buildings. That is correct. That was so fascinating to learn. So you have, there's no lease. No. I think, I mean, this just may be apocryphal, but um, a dollar a year and uh, obviously we pay to maintain them. So how does that factor into development uh, projects for the future? I know there's a BAM Karen, BAM Strong, which are going to be a new uh, film center and a new art gallery that are currently in development in the neighborhood as well, in Fort Greene, Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. um, do those also fall in that same category or is that new real estate? It's new real estate. And as I understand it, it's a combination of... Because the BAM Strong actually encompasses the Forte building, which is adjacent to the Harvey. Uh -huh. And I believe we out and out own that. But the sliver lot, or what we called the sliver lot, which was an empty lot between the Harvey and the Forte apartment building, uh, which is where the Rudin Family Gallery will be. And the BAM Karen, indeed will have more screens for BAM Rose Cinemas um, and also hopefully home to the BAM Archive, which currently is on Dean Street, but will have a permanent home at the BAM Karen. Um, we are still at least a year away from finishing the build out on that property. It's really amazing. I mean, it's BAM is really, it's like a university. <laughs> That's a nice way to think of it. So, yeah. But it's, it's, it's almost like a campus. Um, sometimes we do call it the BAM campus. Um, one of the challenges of, of expanding is we've always had a little bit of trouble in terms of if we have a day where we have three shows running, we do have ushers on the street and in each building whose specific job is to make sure that our audiences are going to the right building mm -hmm. um, because if it's your first trip to BAM or if you – 
like me, sometimes you're not fully paying attention <laughs> and you're sort of like, oh, I thought it was in the Harvey. I got to skedaddle to get over to the Fisher on time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think what's so interesting about this is I'm I'm always so intrigued by who pays for art. Mm-hmm. And it's a multifaceted question. But in this case, the New York City pays for BAM's home, physical home. And does the city have any requirements based on that? Or it's just as long as this is a home for arts presentation, it's BAM's to run on its own? I mean, I yes, I think that's broad strokes what it's about and that we have a responsibility and an obligation to present quality programming and to be responsive to our audiences and to our neighbors. And I think that's exactly what we do. Mm-hmm. So in the midst of this, in the past month, a new art center has come on the scene in New York in the ever-developing west side of Manhattan called The Shed, um, which commissions new artwork and costs about $500 million to build, a little bit under that, um, but close to it. The lineup um, for the inaugural season this year feels somewhat BAM-like. There's a performance by musical artist Bjork. She's performed at BAM. Um, There's a concert series celebrating the influence of African-American music. There's a theatrical works starring British actor Ben Wisha, opera and opera star Renee Fleming. How did you regard and how does the, how does like the BAM community, both staff and audience, seem to regard this new development at The Shed? I would say that the prevailing opinion is that more is more, that we're all programming to attract an audience, to speak to the state of the world, to share. We all love the arts. We want more people to be engaged uh, by artists and to listen to what they have to say, whether that's to enjoy themselves, you know, just as a simple night on the town or to uh, be really sparked to think deeper about certain issues of the day. And so while it's, I mean, it's an it's an amazing facility. Mm-hmm. Um, I think half of us were over there for opening night, mm-hmm. or certainly for opening weekend. And they have capabilities that we don't. Right. Um, but they also don't have a 2000 seat opera house. Right. So, I, I mean, we really are taking the tack that there, there are plenty of people who will buy tickets to see any number of artists and different venues will just naturally fit better for what the artist is presenting. Mm-hmm. It does seem a little bit like the Park Avenue Armory in that, well, A, the interior is shaped, the size of it is like an aircraft hangar. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it has that flexibility to truly transform. And the, the shed, I think, even goes beyond that because the roof can move. And um, I think part of the excitement for donors is that new cutting edge, state of the art, all of those terms that indicate modern development. Um, And it sounds like you're saying it's not worrisome to other arts organizations, like the audience is is there in abundance in thriving cities. I think so. I mean, uh, there's clearly enough money in the world. Whether or not that gets spent on art is another matter. But I think that there's a whole village that lives over there. So even if people just come because that's the most convenient art space to get to, Mm -hmm. um, 
I think that they will be fine and we're not changing our program based on what they may or may not be doing. Yeah. Yeah. How about the the donor pool in New York? I mean, it's it's large enough, I guess. Like those that you want to get like that seed money. Well, I'm not in development, <laughs> which I take as, you know, I never take for granted. I'm very appreciative I'm not in development. It's a hard job. Yeah. But again, I think that if you're doing programming like we do and you're serving the community like we do, including a very robust education mm-hmm. program, that people will come through because they want to be a part of it. And mm-hmm. I think that that's why BAM has been successful. It's we try very hard to engage people in all sorts of ways. And even if it's come and see a film for $15 and it's a combination of first run or uh, independent cinema, uh, there is something for everyone here. I noticed also the um, PAC, which is going to be called Performing Arts Center, um, to be developed by Ron Perlman, who's a really a major arts donor, will be coming in about two years in the financial district very close to One World Trade Center and the 9-11 Memorial. And when I was looking at the plans for that and the sort of developing website that they have posted, it also felt so much like here's someone who has been so dedicated to so many arts uh, venues and kind of programming over the years. His name has really been so associated with um, with arts production. And I was wondering, does that detract from being able to donate it elsewhere because he now will have his own venue? And if so, why not in Houston or Detroit or? I mean, those are good questions, but it's also like a lot of people live here and a lot of people have disposable income and Mm -hmm. a lot of people are interested in live performance. And I, I mean, our competition is screens and... I think we're doing an okay job of holding our own for live performance, but that is a continuous battle of you have to be presenting things that people want to leave home for. Right, right. Yeah. And maybe what you were saying before with the 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 shed being in, in Tin Hudson Yards, which is on the west side of Manhattan, maybe that being like not just a destination, but a really local form for people who live on the west side and people who live in that neighborhood to feel like that's their closest, like that's their closest home. Robert Moses and Lincoln Center and all the development that went around for residential property around there. Absolutely. It's like that is not an accident. And um, BAM was here uh, and housing was here and the neighborhood has changed quite a bit. Um, and we no longer have a BAM bus bringing people from Manhattan to Brooklyn hmm. because the subways are better. Right. But that thriving community is, I, I mean, we do have patrons from Manhattan and Queens and New Jersey and sure. Connecticut, whatever. Um, again, I think it has to do with if you're presenting, you know, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> uh, maybe a little rose-colored glasses, but it is also like, well, what what else are we going to do. Yeah. I mean, um, we have a marketing machine 
and we believe in what we do. And again, we try to listen to what our patrons and neighbors have to say. Mm-hmm. What do you see happening around the Fort Greene neighborhood and the downtown Brooklyn neighborhood in the past 20 years? Certainly more development and more Chipotle. But what do you see in terms of the, the thriving kind of nature of the of these neighborhoods? I mean, it used to be because I've been working in the neighborhood for, uh, let's see, 18 years. And uh, before BAM. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was here before BAM. And... Um, you know, it used to be there was nobody here on the weekends. Uh, and now it's very vibrant and active and lots of young families. And then it's like, well, what are those young families? What are what are they interested in? What are they gonna, going to do? Um, and I think it has become more like Manhattan in that sense of the density yeah. of things. Um, but... That's not all bad either. Yeah. And I think for people who are coming in um, to see a show in the evening, beforehand, there's the restaurants on Lafayette and there's uh, two bookstores and there's the theater for a new audience to check out their beautiful glass lobby. And there's all that that didn't exist 20, 30, certainly not the decades prior when BAM was the, the show in town. Exactly. And Mark Morris down the street. And so that's a whole community in and of itself with dance classes all the time. And um, the Center for Fiction, which used to be based in Manhattan, is now here. Roulette, which used to be based in Manhattan, is a five-minute walk from here. So I think that it's not just about the patrons. It's also about the artists who maybe we're always here, but went into Manhattan to perform, um, but also now have a place to perform closer to their homes. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a new artistic director, David Binder, who comes from the commercial theater world and is actually attached to several current Broadway shows that are up for Tony Awards this spring. What does he bring from the commercial arts world that enhances a nonprofit organization. Yesterday was a very good day uh, for David and for all of us of multiple Tony Award nominations and really amazing productions. I mean, I think commercial or not, the commitment to excellence is not to be understated. And also that he's in the business of making money. He's in the business of finding at least as a producer, is like, well, you don't lose money. That's how you become a good producer, is you don't <laughs> lose money on your endeavors. So I think that he's tasked with finding new models uh, to open up how we can sustain ourselves. And I think that a lot of institutions are asking those very questions. Um, we just happen to be lucky to have gotten David to mm. work with all of us to figure out what can we do more efficiently or better or what's missing or is there an opportunity for uh, finding works of art that do perhaps have commercial value. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that work in long-term producing, and this is true of Joseph Malillo, who was here for many years, is fostering these 
really rich relationships with artists and sort of seeing how their careers go and staying on the parallel track and being able to produce them at various stages. That's been certainly true of BAM's programming with Mark Morris, with a lot of different European companies that continually come back. Is that a a big part of your work as a programmer, as a producer, to keep those relationships going? How do you balance those that have been so um, substantial to BAM's identity with seeking out artists you hadn't quite been aware of or who hadn't been produced yet at BAM? Well, I think with Joe, you know, the lesson was always about nurturing relationships and standing by artists. Even if the project wasn't particularly successful, that doesn't mean that you give up on the artist. Hmm. And I think Joe was instrumental, absolutely instrumental in growing an audience and having an impact on their tastes. And, um, you know, Merce, I mean, this goes back to the Harvey days, but Merce Cunningham, you know, used to be 200 people in the opera house. Mm-hmm. And the 100th birthday celebration that just was two weeks ago, was it was impossible to get a ticket. Mm-hmm. So I think that you're, but you're always looking for new people. Not because you're fickle, Mm -hmm. but because you want to give artists a chance and you want to stay current with, it's not that you can't make, I mean, Joe used to be fond of saying about mature work, you know, this is the opportunity to present your most mature work. Mm -hmm. And uh, maturity comes with age, but is also discipline and rigor and... So I think you can have that at all points in your career. And I don't see David changing in terms of he will be looking at many genres, many artists, some who've been to BAM and many who have not, to give them the chance. Mm -hmm. And to, again, see... We've always been driven. I think it's been an incredibly artist-friendly institution. I would hope that people would agree, yeah. artists would agree, but that the utmost respect for people who are being so brave in putting thoughts and feelings and ideas out there for public consumption. Mm-hmm. And did the interest in global artists, was that mostly Mr. Malillo's, um area of inspiration? Well, it started with Harvey, uh-huh. um, and Joe continued that. Um, I will say, in relation to this podcast in particular, that a lot of European companies in, have access to government subsidy, mm-hmm. and our government does not function that way. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's always been a rap about, oh, yeah, there's a lot of international work at BAM, and that's what they do. We're proud to do that. It does make the world before the internet. I mean, it made the world accessible to people. So we forget about that. It's like, well, that's like a very essential step is like, well, where else could you see it? TV isn't the same. So you have to come to an opera house, gather together and see it. Um, And what has happened is that American artists don't have the resources to make the kind of large-scale work that a lot of foreign companies can make. And so that's why you will continue to see 
international work at BAM. One, because we believe in it and it's good and it has something to say and it represents a new thought um, or a new perspective. It's probably more accurate. And two, because American artists don't necessarily build work that fills an opera house stage. Have you been active on the international trips? How, how does that go? How does, I'm so curious. How does that work? Um, Do you I, like point like you spin a globe? <laughs> <laughs> um, that sounds great. Um, I, I actually went to Australia for the Adelaide Festival in uh, early March. And that, you know, it's so far to go. So yeah. you stay for a long time. And I saw quite a bit of work um, there. And a lot of it was Australian work because Australia is such a huge continent. It's like they can make work and it could tour for two years and never leave Australia. So the investment is huge. Mm -hmm. So for anyone who hasn't seen the Harvey Theater from the inside, it's this beautiful theater where if you look at the sides of the of the balcony and the roof, it almost looks like you can see the construction of it because so many pillars and sides of walls are left bare um, and not covered with the facade of a wall or wallpaper or drapery, things like that. So it's it's sort of elegant, but also very like rubble-like, is <laughs> if you know what I mean. And I, I'm interested in the idea of of what draws actors to perform there. I'm sure the acoustics and, and the stage size are all that and the ability to uh, build uh, elaborate sets. But I think there's something about that kind of crude facade that is left on a lot of the internal structural support systems and beams and things like that. To have these massive stars be on the stage, what do you think is compelling about the Harvey Theater to them? I think it's because there's no other theater like it in New York City. It, uh, as you say, the architectural distress, the choice of it, and the marriage of the ancient and the modern is really important and fuels their performances. And I know that um, I'm not an actor, but I have said, and you know, real people have said about the ghosts that are there that give you a sense of all that went on before there mm-hmm. and will continue to go on. It somehow informs the performances. And I think that we'll always be able to attract actors to come perform there because it is a special place. Interesting. Who are some of the ghosts? <laughs> um, well, the space was open specifically for Peter Brook. Yeah. And, uh, he is not a ghost, but I would say that the contributions he's made to theater uh, cast a long shadow. I just think, you know, the, all the Shakespeare that's been in that space and not always presented in a traditional way, mm-hmm. but trying to keep the text vibrant is what matters in in terms of the, the art that's there. Um, I can't tell you who's coming in December of 2019, but I will say that people will be delighted. Mm. And I think that will bring another level of surprise and expectation to the theater. Of all the different forms that 
BAM produces, which one do you get most excited by and why? Um, my background is in dance, so I think I always default to the dance people just because it's hard to separate who you know and with what they present. And, you know, it's exciting um, when it's friends or associates who are performing here. Um, I think under David we'll see more music. Uh, and, you know, I have learned to really appreciate contemporary opera. Mm-hmm. And um, the theater stuff is always good. Yeah. And always has been good and solid. And hopefully, we will do some more produced shows here um, instead of, uh, or in addition to shows that are strict presentations. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that BAM is such a thriving part of Brooklyn. And I think it, it's just really exciting to see the way that those steps on Lafayette are always seem to be crowded with people like either lounging or about to enter or coming out discussing something. So um, congrats to you and I wish you so much success. Thanks, Lonnie. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and follow Places Everyone on Twitter. Podcast production and original music by Cody Crabb. Artwork by Jennifer Klockner. See you next time.